Welcome to the Time Lords Podcast. We go beyond the buzzwords to learn exactly how people are building the industrial internet of things and using time series data to transform their businesses. I'm your host, Lonnie Bowling. Today, I'm excited to be joined by John Peterson, Senior VP Products at Seek Corporation. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hey, Lonnie. How's it going? It's going great. Uh, how are you holding up in the COVID world? Well, um, you know, Seek, Seek has always been a, a virtual company. And uh-huh. I know you, you probably work out of your house a lot as, as well, but we've always been virtual. And uh, so we didn't skip a beat. And I'm kind of envious of everybody else. I've kind of got to back off some of my friends that work for Google and these other companies. They're, they're kind of slacking off during COVID. And <laughs> if anything, I'm working harder. So that kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear you, man. So, hey, yeah. for those uh, so th- for those people that don't know you, um, you want to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep. Um, I'll get to my OSIF background. That's probably that's where I've worked the, the longest of my mm-hmm. life. I was there from 92 till uh, 20, uh, 2013, so 21 years. Yeah, that's a while. Prior to that, yep. Yeah, so prior to that, I, um, I graduated from Northwestern University in 1982, so a long time ago with a chemistry mm-hmm. degree. And uh, I was fortunate at Northwestern where there was one professor there kind of Kind of, if you wanted to do well, you, you had to start programming. Back in those days, it was it was Fortran, but you had to go program to go solve chemie problems. Uh-huh. And I don't know, imagine how big of this audience are chemies, Alani. There, you know, actually, it's kind of funny because it, it seems like it's a it's not that unusual of a story for people to have, uh, you know, chemie degrees. It's 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 weird. I don't yeah. know what it is. mechanical and chemical. Those are the two that yeah, you hear. Yeah. One, yeah. It, it's yeah, and so I was fortunate to solve a lot of the chemie problems that we had. Uh, if you could write a computer program, uh, and he had a lot of libraries of equations of states and you know, all the you know gas properties and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, I always used to laugh back back in there. So this is you know 1980 and stuff like that, where you would graphically solve a fraction in common. How ridiculous is that? And you know <laughs> when you can do a pretty simple program even way back then. And so kind of, kind of kept on that. And uh, so I worked a, as a process engineer for about nine years, but uh, every time I had a chance to use, write a program or use a different system, a CAD system or some, some way to go solve a problem, I would go do that. And I advise that to every you know, young engineers out there, always be building up your skills. Mm-hmm. And if your job is giving you those skills, just make up an excuse to learn skills. At the beginning of your career, learn skills. Um, the more you have, the better. Um, and, and so I, I, I just said, I'm going to become a good programmer. And a, a guy I work with told me to learn C. So I, I went from Fortran to C. And my job was leaving, uh, actually moving from California to Cincinnati. And I had decided I wasn't going to move, move to Cincinnati. And so I, I started looking around for jobs. This, this, would, this is 1990, you know, 90, late 91, early 92. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a recession then if people go back all that. But, but I had jobs. It was, it was pretty easy. I had made enough people and did, I guess, I guess well enough. Um, to, to have you know several job offers, but I decided to to go uh, become a computer programmer, mm-hmm. and it was an odd thing. It's kind of kind of hilarious. Um, back in those days, you used to add, look at ads in newspapers. And it was San Francisco Chronicle, and there was this ad, you know, chemical engineer with some process engineer experience, and knows how to program in C. And I'm reading this ad, and I go, this is really weird. It's like made for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I go, I'll send my resume there. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, so it's pretty funny. And then Mark Hughes, some people, it's the older people here might remember Mark Hughes. He was a longtime VP of engineering at OSI Sauce. Uh-huh. So he gave me a call and I went in there and 
and had spent all day there interviewing with everybody. Um, it, it was great. I just knew it was a great place to work. And I still remember hanging out in Pat Kennedy's office. This is, this is their old days when they're in their original office or their first office on 545 Estadillo. Uh-huh. And um, I remember talking with Pat as, you know, wrapping up. He goes, ah, oh, you'll be great here. I go, remember, Pat, I'm not a professional developer. Ah, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> kind of talking him out of hiring me. Yeah, uh-huh. It was that kind of a kind of a place you have felt a lot of trust. Uh, wow. So I joined there. Yeah. So I joined there in, 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 from being a process engineer and becoming a real programmer in mm-hmm. 1992. So you were at uh, so you were at OSI Soft for quite a while. So what what was your what would you say like your biggest contribution was to what we use now as Pi? Because I know that you're involved in a lot of different things. Um, yeah, so it was kind of it was it was fun there. So I get dropped in, um, think oh, I'm a pretty good programmer, and then all of a sudden I'm in the middle of a bunch of really good programmers. Uh-huh. I can you know, rattle off a bunch of names, but you know, Bill Vaughn, who passed away several years ago, I learned a ton from him and Ken Coates. And like I mentioned, you know, Mark Hughes, you know, the you know, list goes on. Richard Beeson, was, mm-hmm. you know, he's one of the best software developers I, that, that I've known. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I just started learning a lot and it kind of dropped in my lap um, some some interface, what Pi calls the connectors interfaces. So I started working on the interfaces and uh, one of them, uh, a previous developer tried to build a, a I forgot what he called it, but kind of a universal interface framework. And there are some issues with this. But the, the idea was really good. And I took that guy's idea and kind of ran with it. Uh-huh. That became Unient. And so I, uh-huh. I was just in the company for a couple months and Unient came out of there. I think it's still running. Those people have been around five for a long time. <laughs> yeah, Unient is, is, is big. I remember first reading about that and the, all the documentation. I was like, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the guy, the, the idea, it's not, I mean, a lot of people had that same idea, but the guy, somebody else had started that idea. I just kind of ran with it and, and kind of executed it. And, and But it takes, it also takes engineering management to digress a little bit. Mm-hmm. You, you got to have engineering managers, you know, development managers. We're going to use that as a standard because a lot of people, even at the time, they don't want to use that. They don't want to use a framework. They want to, I'm to write my own code and to do all that stuff. Right. You're, it's poor development management if you don't, you know, basically you got to put your foot down and get those frameworks in place because they deliver consistency to the customer, generally much more reliable code too, because it's used over and over and you find all the bugs in it. And ultimately you speed up development. There's, that's the reason why developers don't, don't want to do it. They have their own little ways of doing it and they don't want to get forced on that. But, but right. so take, you know, take some focus. So give credit to, you know, the OSI solve Mark Hughes and those at the time for, you know, getting us down there. Um, at roughly around the same time, um, Richard Beeson and uh, he, he grabbed um, the the what was called PyNet at the time. So by the kind of late eighties, OSI Soft supported networking computing. Not very common in there, but you could have a, a deck computer with mm-hmm. a box dedicated for talking to let's say Honeywell, uh, DCS, that could be independent where the Pi system, Pi 2 ran on a, another deck machine. And that communication between those two was called PyNet, PyNet 1. Very simple, uh, a network-based protocol on DECnet. Mm-hmm. Richard Beeson grabbed that around, around the same time I joined it, and he ported that to, of all things, DOS. Very cool thing that he did there. And this is DOS. This is you know before yeah. Windows became real popular. Yeah. Um, eventually, we called that the Pi API. If people remember that, and I picked up that Pi API, um, kind of kind of by default. Um, you know, the guy working on it had moved on, and 
it fell, fell in my lap. So I started, um, you know, you know, owning that code that, that Richard had started, learned a lot. It was real hard. Network programming back in those days was very, very hard. Oh yeah. Um, you didn't have piece, you know, you didn't have Winsock no. and a bunch of other stuff. I don't want to no. bore people with that other stuff. <laughs> you actually got Winsock and got, at least got consistent. Um, but, but I learned a lot with that. And then, um, because I picked that up, they're just starting this thing called Pi 3, the next generation. And um, I got recruited to, to join that, that team. So ultimately, that was a, that, that was a, probably the biggest endeavor, endeavor I've taken on. It really, really is. Me, Richard Beeson, and Rula Perla, some old names, mm-hmm. the three of us kind of sat down to, to uh, write Pi 3 based on some, some design documents myself and others had worked on. Yeah, and so Pi 3 is really, like for those of my – might not be super familiar with Pi and, and how it all works, but that that really is kind of the modern Pi system that we use even today as of now, right? That that's correct. Yeah. So we we started working on that uh, kind of late spring of '92. I joined the team later in 1992 on that, and uh, we we did our first release of Thanksgiving 1995, and at that time we. We, we originally set out to do Unix, if you recall, a lot of the workstation, a lot of the DCS vendors had been moving to Unix. Mm-hmm. Unix is a, a whole another subject could fund this discussion <laughs> to have, but it, it was a bit, effectively, it's a, it was a transient from, you know, mid 80s, you know, and kind of, kind of, you know, then got replaced by Linux, ultimately, but all right. kinds of interesting stuff that happened there. Um, and then, of course, Windows. You know, NT, which you know, thirty-two, a real Windows operating system. NT, we called it back in the day. Right. So, yeah, you know, came out. But originally, we were on Unix, the four big ones: IBM, DEC, uh, Sun, and HP. So we did a lot of development on that. But but by then we had this the Windows NT, uh, which is you know the, the modern Windows, and we we started pointing to that as well. So we're, it was all fresh code from the VMS of hundred percent new. So we were really kind of working, you know, those, you know, five operating system in the early days of NT, there was, they had that thing called the HAL, the hardware abstraction layer. So there, there were actual different chipsets that were supported NT, you know, the Intel chipset, uh, deck had whatever mm-hmm. they call their alpha chip, the alpha chip. And you had power PC, which was the, I, the IBM thing. And, um, there might be another one out there. I can't I can't remember. So so you really you kind of had this weird thing of four Unixes and a couple you know at least two flavors of of NT where we were building to. Um, yeah. So so that was interesting. Um, yeah. Wow. So you know lots a lots changing. Um, we were talking about a little bit about this before uh, before we started the recording, and you know at the time of this recording, uh, it, there's been a couple a few articles out now about. The possible sale of OSIsoft, um, and you know, it's just a you know, you know whether that happens or not. I think I think we both were generally agreeing that yeah, there's things are changing, the landscape's changing, um, things you know at OSIsoft are changing. Uh, you know, Seek, the company that uh, that you're with, has been a a pretty strong partner with OSIsoft over the last uh, several years, uh, really. Kind of uh, adding, um, you know, a whole anal- analytics capability and you know data insight capabilities on top of Pi and, and as Pi as a, as a as a primary data source. And I know that uh, you know with with that product that 
it's not just OSI soft Pi, but it's just kind of data, time series data in general. You're you're looking to consume and and bring into that and 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 do different things with it, which is pretty interesting. So we were um, so we we're kind of like talking about well, what does the future look like here? You know, with with things of the the old guard, the you know the software that you you've worked on for so many years at OSI Soft and kind of the, the on-prem solution and really like the de facto uh, historian in, at the enterprise level solution for a long time now. That that seems like it feels like to me is changing. Companies are talking about different approaches to these problems. Um, you've been I know looking at different different approaches to these problems too, and kind of like the next generation of of solutions. So. You know, what's what's your what's your kind of like high level take on you know what's going on right now? What are what are the things that you're seeing or observing, you know, around those types of things? What, what kind of changes are are happening right now? Yeah. As we're yeah. So it's kind of, kind of interesting if you look at some of that information technology. So first of all, companies like LikeSeek and 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 uh, OSI Soft and such, um, we're we're software engineering companies. We engineer. We're not. We're not creating distinctly new information technology. You know. So if you look at Google with their MapReduce and stuff, and that you know that you know started rolling out in the in the 90s, and they exposed to the world in in the early 2000s. We don't do that kind of profound stuff like that. We're building on on existing things. Mm-hmm. So. So the changes that come at us, we got to look at, you know, the, the innovators that are out there doing this. So in the late 70s, 80s, you had the mini computer, Digital Equipment Corporation. And there's other ones out there, but they ended up dominating. That's where Pi, Pi 1 and 2, ultimately, you know, it's called Pi 2 ended, ended up on there. And I, and I knew that stuff pretty, pretty well. Mm-hmm. Then you had this move to, you know, the, the workstation where we can buy it. $40,000 computer, if you're buying a Unix thing, when Windows was, was more viable, well, a $2,000 computer was almost as good as that $40,000 computer. Right. So, then, so then you started getting these workstation class machines, multiprocessors. Um, that forced that shift, you know, plus decades effectively to go into business. But that was a big platform change to that. And that really kind of brought in, you know, the concept of the three-tier architecture where I got databases and an app server and then and then client software. Eventually, of course, that client software is all expected to run on a browser too, but, you know, kind of that three, three-tier thing. Mm-hmm. So so that, that that's hitting you in the late 90s and you can run with that till 2000-ish, you know, a little bit past. But then the internet companies you know, Google's and, and such are, are, they're doing different stuff. And a lot of people didn't know all the cool stuff that, that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then, I, and then all of a sudden what we see, you know, you know, with, with, with Amazon, you have Amazon on AWS, Amazon web services, uh, Microsoft comes out with their Azure and that really was the next platform. And so that, that is the platform now that you, that you work on. You've got this, cloud providers, almost infinite resources, you know, that you can go rent there and you drive these, they don't have to be browser based. It gets much, much more complicated than that, but that's, that's a big thing. So, right. so it, it's hundred percent clear. The cl- cloud is the, f- is the future. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go as far as to say every, every CIO and, and have, will have some kind of a statement in their company that they're cloud f- first. I would say virtually every company. I'm sure it'll be people, few people listen to that say, "Oh, not this company, that, com- that company." Right. But I know the biggest companies in the world. You know, offline I can share it to share oh. with you. That are saying <laughs> we are cloud first. Um, right. So, so that's happening. It's always been um, Seek's position as cloud first. However, we know that there's a lot of 
friction. People want to stay on premise and that. So we're, we're going ahead and supporting, supporting both of those. So it's, so it's pretty clear, you know, you know, that's where it's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's enough competition to keep everybody honest up there just between, you know, Azure, AWS, Google, you know, and, and Google, Google, uh, Google cloud. I think it's called Google cloud mm-hmm. platform GCP. I think that's the name, but I forget. Uh, from our observations, Microsoft and, and Amazon are making a harder push into into industrial stuff like we're in, we're involved. So so that will be uh, for sure a big component of this. Uh, you, everybody knows the you know the advantages of it, but I'll I'll say the the biggest advantage is likely in things like elastic computing. You know, come along with really low cost, hardly any resources to take the take kind of that base load of that mm-hmm. but when we get peaks or big big questions come in there grab more computing power and do it and then get rid of it so you're not paying for it so that right. that's where big benefit will be and, and that that's largely you know you know the way seek is architect mm-hmm. and we did come at it from kind of that that application uh, angle and right. um we we saw everybody knows you know all side hey we're infrastructure real time data infrastructure, and they largely left applications open to to third parties if they want to go in there and, and do that. So that's the, so we kind of, we started our business on that mm-hmm. uh, with with an app called called Workbench, and it's so you know it's pretty modern architecture. An app server knows how to talk to any kind of uh, data source. Um, Using do, doing things for performance over over uh, public uh, networks, you know, over the internet with with web sockets and streaming streaming mm-hmm. data and stuff like that. That's what, where we get a lot of performance, and obviously, uh, you know, a, a, a browser based um, a, a client. You know, the mm-hmm. app li- lives in a browser, and you know, so we largely delivered on that. A lot of infrastructure we had to build to deliver on, on that. I can we can talk a little bit about that. But if we get back to your question, you know, you know, where is this going? So certainly cloud. Certainly these apps will be at, you know running on browsers, um, and uh, somehow you still got to support that refinery that absolutely needs access to data or whoever that might be a power plant doesn't really matter. Right. If, if for some reason they, they lose connectivity to the, to the cloud, you still have to address that piece and, and there's ways to do it. So, so, you know, you can kind of sketch out all the business requirements in pretty much detail at th- this moment in time. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, wow. You bring up a lot of, a lot of good stuff here that we could jump into. Um, you know, one of the, uh, you know, when we're, you're talking about like the architecture that you're using at Seek and, you know, how, how to address kind of, you know, these business requirements, can you maybe dive, let's dive into that a little bit more because I, because when you showed me, um, you know, we, we talked a while back, I think when we're talking about getting on this podcast, you know, and you kind of uh, showed me a little bit how Seek was put together. And I was, I was, I was somewhat surprised a little bit because I was thinking that, okay, you're just uh, attaching to, you know, like a Pi system and you're reading data out and you're doing, you're doing all this stuff, but, but, you know, it ended up being a lot more than, you're not doing that at all. Actually, you're doing it. I mean, maybe at the end of the day, that's what it appears is happening, but there's actually a lot going on under the hood there that, that really surprised me and kind of, and, and to be honest, got me excited about the, the possibility, you know, of that product in particular, you know, what it could be used for in the future. I think it could do, you know, I, it's not just a, a front end application for, you know, exploring data. There's, there's quite a bit more there. 
Um, so you, you want to amplify a little bit on, on, you know, kind of with the, whatever you can share about the, the secret sauce that's going into yeah, yeah. making that work. <laughs> yeah. I think if, if you step back to let's, we paint two really broad requirements, um, that, that plant needs maybe perhaps just short periods of time in very much a subset, but they probably need access to a certain amount of data and with a certain amount of functionality if they're if they ever get if they get isolated from the internet even mm-hmm. though that's, that's fairly rare these days it's like it's a, just, good, a good example with john would be like think about it if for like if you're doing a home automation project right you want to be able to turn your lights on and off or open the garage door or turn the security system on from pretty much anywhere right you could do yep. it oh we're on vacation do oh we forgot to turn the security line well no problem pull out your phone and turn it on that's like remote right checking on yep. things that's remote but if you're at home and you lose connection to your internet that that darn well would better work right <laughs> you really that to open your garage door still yeah exactly yeah. so yeah it's so it's a perfect yeah it's a perfect analogy so so that requirement I, I, I'm trying to get some conversation with plant, plant managers to, to get more of the detail. But here's the vision that every every one of these very you know high level IT people they talk to, they have a vision where all their important data in their company is available to all the right people all the time. And I want to do joins between HR data and process data. I don't know. You yeah. can think of some some perhaps a little SAP. bit. SAP. Everybody always wants to bring SAP in. To the yeah, show <laughs> <Some> exactly. <point. laughs> Finance stuff with the, the production stuff. Maintenance yeah. is the obvious little, you know, the really simple one. You know, hey, yeah. I just want to, I just want to correlate work orders to, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so everybody has that vision, and if, and if you get all the data into the same spot, you, you can kind of that's a how how to do that. But let's just keep those two two things. I want to be able to to write these valuable business applications that can join across these, you know, very, you know, disparate data, d- databases, have it be fast and responsive, do it with standards. So if a company leaves, I got to go a different API, I don't have to rewrite everything, all that stuff. So that's, that's kind of the, the high level thing. So, so seek is a little play on that in, in that we, we have a, an application, you know, at the end of the day, there's, there's an app server and that app server, knows how to connect to all kinds of different databases. The historians, uh, for sure, and there's a you know, you know, handful of you know, prominent ones out there along with, with OSI soft. That's pretty simple because those data structures are all the same, you know, time, mm-hmm. you know, time value. You know, tag has a bunch of time value pairs of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's other things that are a little bit trickier, um, but you have notions of the interesting slices of time. Uh, we call those condition. A condition is like when it's hot. There's it's a hot condition, mm-hmm. and a slice of time would be when it's hot, and then we call that thing a capsule. OSI Soft calls those event frames, mm-hmm. and uh, so you do have some of these data structures that that are that you can you can make uh, of these other systems, and so it's kind of kind of the way Seek went about doing it. But we we also rolled in another concept here. And this, this cloud concept is kind of pushing back at that a little bit, or change, wants to change that a little bit. And that is, who's a system of record? Where, where is a system of record? So if, you, if you're in pharmaceutical, there's other things where it's, it's like, nice to have as few system of records as possible because you know where to do the focus. And, mm-hmm. and we took a stance as a company that Pi is a system record or, or whatever the historian is mm-hmm. happens to be a system of record. 
So we did architecture where we largely leave that data in place. Okay. And we just we just reach it on demand. So I'd say that's a real key part of us. And then it does a couple of things. One, there's a little bit less risk, you know, using six. So, you know, we're not one of these, oh, you got to pick everything up and move it over there. That's a, you know, a big, long project. To do yeah, that. copying the data, restart, starting yeah. over. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Been yeah. down that road before. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 um, you know, it, but to pull that off, we put a pretty interesting architecture in where you ask your app server for some some data. We look up the metadata. Okay, where does that data live? Oh, it's over here. We'll send a request down to Pi or PhD or or Maximo or whatever that might be. You know, get that data um, in full resolution. You know, full fidelity. And then do the math or whatever on it, and, and hand it off. But mm-hmm. you know, that moving of it of that data around. Um, is it, it takes some skills and we happen to be very skilled at the SDKs that are out there, Pi and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and having some knowledge of, of how those things actually work. Um, now with this cloud concept, you start, you start blowing up what's the system record or is it, does that become the big giant cloud thing up there? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That whole system of record is it, it, it's a little bit baffling nowadays because where does the data live? Where, 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 you know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of contention I know around that. You know, well, if you move all your data to the cloud, then how are you going to be able to access it locally if you don't have connectivity, right? So now, are you going to have a copy, so a partial copy, or you know, what yeah. are you going to keep it on prem? And then what happens if you can't connect there? How are you going to um, deal with that problem? So there's there's <laughs> so you know. I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's it's kind of a struggle to, for somebody to say, yeah, I only want my data to ever live in one place. Um, I think maybe your read-write data could live in one place, but your read data might have to be, you know, wherever it needs to be. You know, I I, I don't know what the right answer is there, but yeah, just, yeah, it's trickier. So I have, I have a little paper on uh, on on what what would an enterprise or a cloud-based time series database database look like? And there's a difference between a historian and a database too, which yeah, we happy to talk about. <laughs> so if you start looking at this, the, the challenges here. Is and there's a handful of different ways to go pull this off, and I and I went and did one, two, three, four, you know, potentially five different ways to pull this thing off. Mm-hmm. Is how do I build some some notion built to access all my manufacturing data, time series data across all my 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 whole enterprise? And you know, like some of these enterprises have you know hundreds of hundreds of Pi servers and oh, yeah. you know scattered all over the world. Massive and. Um, and you know, one way to do that is to just get a big version of Pi up there. You, Lonnie, you know anybody that, that did that? Uh, well, I know. Yeah, I, I've I've seen I've seen some pretty big Pi systems. You know, so yeah, definitely. And I've seen it the other way too, where there's a lot of little Pi systems. Yeah. So <laughs> so the big Pi system, it it it, it kind of works. Um, the the sync tools are aren't, aren't perfect, but but they kind of work. Um, and then I have some, oh, some important kind of IT aspects for, for it. Can I maintain my information security? And that's, that's basically, think, think mostly around authorization in this particular case. Can I keep that big thing consistent with a bunch of little things? So consistency is another thing that comes in place. What's the latency? So when a new samples or events, as Pi calls them, comes in into that plant, how mm-hmm. long before they're up there? There's mm-hmm. latency. How well can that thing scale? Um, how available? You know, what's what's the reliability of the, of, right. of that thing? 
and then I'll throw a new kind of requirement. How well does it support the notion of I, IOT, you know, industrial Internet of Things, which is a whole nother discussion. I think, I think, I think there's a lot of not really good articulation of what IIoT is out oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, how well will it support existing vendor apps like a process book or a process explorer or whatever that might be out there? So if you kind of shine that light on various ways to do this thing, different things will score you know, different, you know, well in different areas. You, for example, if you take that data lake approach where everybody knows from here, the word data lake, mm-hmm. or I'm just going to grab that stuff from wherever I'm going to just chuck it up into files living on Hadoop, through a file system or something, whatever that is. Well, you definitely lose your information security, right? Yeah. Um, how consistent is that data going to be with those Pi servers? I don't know. You do a batch move of the new data from the last day or my 104 Pi servers. You do that once a day. So there's 24 hours of latency. <laughs> scale is going to score well on scalability. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the scalability distributed and stuff like that gives you really well on availability. Probably mm-hmm. can handle I- IoT, mm-hmm. but will it still run process? But no, it won't run process. So anyway, I kind of have a score for, for these things there. And, um, and I, I, I think, I think that, I think you could do it virtually too. You could just, and Seek effectively does that, right? Where mm-hmm. we leave everything where it is, but you got one place to go to and we magically get it. That, that actually scores really well across a, a lot of places, uh, except for availability. I'm connected to 200 Pi systems. Two or three of those are probably not connected at any given time, right? So your availability yeah. is a little bit less. But uh, you don't have to worry about consistency because you're not copying the data. You know, just get, get a feel for it. Um, but I do believe some sort of uh, enterprise time series database is where people will go for this particular piece of the puzzle. Solving this thing, there's a lot, you know, the database, the time series database is just one piece of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got Microsoft working on stuff, you got Amazon working mm-hmm. on other, you know, working on those things. But I do believe that's, that's where I'll end up. And the thing what I've been telling our customer when I do get a chance to talk to them is, you know, I know you have this, this data lake or this enterprise data strategy going on, but it doesn't have to be one size fits all. I mean, why not in that data lake put a, 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 a purpose-built time series database for that type of data along right alongside the rest of the stuff because, you know, you're doing special things to be joining that anyways. And uh, it seems to get a little bit of a nod, you know, positive nod. Yeah, I I, I kind of agree with with. Well, I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying, and I and I and I really like how you put, you know, and your your thoughts down on on paper, and you're you're kind of you know breaking into these categories and able to score, the different types of uh, solutions against you know how how well is it going to provide these these general uh, business needs. So so that's cool. If you ever make that public, let me know. I'd love to um love to have that. Yeah, and, we'll, yeah, uh, we'll do. Yeah, and, but. Yeah, back to you know the the database thing, and and I I, I think that it is going to be kind of like take the best technology to that can do the job, you know, find out what that technology is, whatever the solution might be, and and use that to solve that specific piece of the puzzle. But it's not going to be like one technology is going to solve everything, and you know, like with time series data even you know there's there's the on-premise uh you low low latency need and then there's the um you know up in the cloud uh you know you know highly scalable widely accessible you know being able to connect that to other things type of need so they're really like different 
Absolutely. when you look at it. And, 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 and those differences can be highlighted all along the way, right? What, what are these differences? Uh, and, and so, so to, to, to not try to, to make the problem like there's just like one thing that's going to solve all those problems for you because it's never going to be that way. I think, I think that it's always going to be one of these situations where, you know, you're going to have to make some decisions as a company, as far as what components you want to use, where you want to use them. And, but, but if you know what you're after to begin with, it makes it a lot easier to make those decisions when you say, I mean, I, you know, versus just saying, let's just put all our data in a data lake and see what happens. That's probably, you know, maybe not the, um, not going to get you very far, but if you, but if you have some really key things you're after, it makes it a lot easier to start having these kinds of discussions about what, what makes sense. Yeah. You know, where yeah. to put, yeah. yeah. I was just saying, yeah, always keep an eye on, 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 you know, what, what those business requirements are and, and, you know, if you, if you can drive from that, you know, there, there's some caveats there. You might not always know those, what the business requirements are up, up front and, you know, so, so some, some, there, there is merit and, and, and I think there's a lot of people can disagree on this. Um, but there is some merit at, at times to use, I'm just going to use this new technology. I don't know why, but it seems like it's the future. Other people are doing it. I'm just going to use it just because it's there. I'm going to, I'm going to go force that. And I think, I don't think that's a bad, bad approach at times. And in worst case, you learn about it, whether it's good or not. I, I do say, I, I will say some of the, like this, the data lake approach is it, a tough thing um, in that I think a lot of times they're not prepared for just the sheer quantity of data that live in these, these, you know, time series databases, historians, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the real-time data infrastructure, you know, the OSI soft pie. And if, if you go in there thinking you're going to just do a big lift of all that data, that's really, you know, really, really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you got to, I believe it's got to be a system that's in place. That's largely doing that, that movement. I can't, speak to the other business data. I think, I think it's more, it's more of a common uh, design pattern to, to do exports to data warehouses. I know at, at OSI soft, we would do that from our finance systems and such, which happened to be SAP into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you leverage SQL, I think we leverage SQL server analysis service to eventually move it into a cube so you can do, do analysis on it. I think that's common for that type of a data, but I don't believe it works that well through my observation doesn't work that well for, for time series data. So, so we, we believe at, at seek that the, the infrastructure that we have in place that we, that we built that we can ask an app server for the data. We're going to just find out where that data is. We feel that we can leverage that kind of some of that same infrastructure. Well, why don't we go find where that data is, but, but then by the way, let's go write that data up into, if they want it up into the enterprise time series store that they've chosen, they'd be, you know, be, be in the, the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they ask, if they access that data through seek, well, we can apply units of measure and all the descriptions and all that mm-hmm. other metadata. And even more importantly, the authorization. So we can still maintain who's got access to it. Um, there's another thing that, you know, when it comes to information security that I don't know the answer to, but it'd be fun to talk about a little bit. And then, um, and then you can slowly do that migration um, 
if you just start beating up a Pi server during normal business hours, you can move a bunch of data, you're likely going to upset some of the users. Mm. Maybe the client <laughs> manager. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's not a good idea. However, Pi tracks the load on the system, so you can find periods of low, low, low on it. So maybe you're smart about how you move that. So those, those are those are some things that I think, uh, you know, ideas that, that people can run with to, to, to go deliver you know, you know, deliver on this. Once again, I think it's a hard business environment to get that data alongside of other data where everybody in the, in the enterprise can get to the data they have, they're authorized to get to. Um, it, you know, I think that's a pretty hard, you know, requirement that's out there. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think there's one other question I have for you on this, and it's just something that's been on my mind lately for some weird reason, but you know, there's in, in, when we're, when we're, you know, our, our livelihood is, is industrial data, right? We're, we're kind of, um, you know, that's been our world forever. And, 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 you know, I just think of, well, okay, yeah, there's all this data there. And why wouldn't people just automatically, I assume that people would automatically want to have access to that data and be able to use that to do, to do things that would, you know, help them make better decisions in their business or, or, or whatever it might be optimized. There's all kinds of business cases around that. So as a, from the operational side, which is pretty much where I've spent my time as an engineer or programmer or whatever, that's, that's always been my perspective. It seems pretty obvious this data has value. Um, but, you know, when you get into the IT side of things, there's, there's a different mindset around data, um, you know, where, you know, maybe they're coming from finance or, you know, even, even in maintenance in a way, I guess maintenance is more operational. But anyway, there's, there's, there's kind of like the business uses of data and it's like reporting, um, you know, we want to do, we want to forecast, you know, we've got to, you know, do these types of business activities. And so the, and so then it's like, okay, how does operational data going to make any difference to us in that level? Right. And then, and then, and then you have a situation where you have the IT people not really understanding the, the nature of the OT side of the yep. equation. And so that kind of creates an, another layer of struggle, I think. And so, like, I I literally was talking to somebody the other day about, you know, this person goes to a lot of different companies, and I was saying, you know, what's the data story there? What are people talking about as far as the operational data? And and she was like, um, they don't, <laughs> they don't talk about it. They they're too busy. They've got other things to do. They don't really like, uh, you know, see. I mean, I'm sure if you ask somebody, but, you know, this is like, you know, the people are just, just too busy doing, doing everything to even like care about this data. Yeah. And I was like, I was kind of like stepped back a little bit. I was like, wow, I think I've been in a bubble or something because to me that just seems like, and she was like struggling to come up with like one company that actually has the idea that we're, the ideas that we're talking about here, where to me, I was just like an assumption. Yeah, of course they want to do this. Right. But I don't know. Have you, have you encountered that at all? And you know, what, you know, if you have, what, 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 how did you react? <laughs> Cause I was well, like, you know, yeah, you, you encounter that everywhere. Um, and the questions why, um, you know, we have our theories at seek. So w one of the goals of seek was to, you know, was to break that down. Um, you know, I won't, I, I won't name any names here, but before we started seek our CEO, my boss was talking to a, a person and uh, Steve was kind of describing our business prop and, you know, you know, the fact that uh, there's even more value in all that operational data, that OT stuff that's out there than, than people are getting. Uh, you know, I'm, 
on certain plant, most plant managers would not run the refinery without something like pie, right? They couldn't run it. Um, and this, this person went on to say, well, gee, I wish, I wish our company had some of that historian operational data. Well, they, they, they did that and all kinds of, all kinds of it. And <laughs> you get a little higher up in the organization and they don't, they don't, they don't realize it. And so, so why, why is that? Um, I think it's the, it's the OT and IT divide, which is largely getting broken down, especially in, you know, in, I will say in the utilities and power generation, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, that's, you know, IT people and power generation are heavily involved with the OT. At least that's what, you know, what, you know, in my observations over, over the years, uh, but you have the OT, IT divide. Um, you got a big and penis mismatch between that data, you know, cause the data coming historian is variable sample rate, you know, so nothing ever lines up. There can be dropouts. There's all kinds of headaches with it. Uh, that, that's what we, you know, set out to address. Seek, seek, you know, we, we, we wanted to address those things to just lower that, you know, you know, get an impedance match between more transactional data and pie data. And it's not that, that hard to deal with. I think we've largely solved the problem, but that certainly, you know, ho- you know, holds things up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the divide between OT and IT does, uh, the, the fact that if you just start running down there, grabbing tons of data, you, you, you might be disrupting some of the OT operations, which, you know, by the way, that's where all the P&L comes in those companies. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. Running those plants <laughs> because your electricity is going out so they yeah. can sell it. Don't forget um, that. Yeah, and and and, uh, and and so there's there's sensitivity there. So so I, I think I think that's you know between the impedance mismatch and the sensitivity to keep the idea a little bit isolated, uh, it's probably probably the two biggest thing. Um, all that stuff means it's hard. It, it's hard to do. Which means time-consuming, which is, which just means expensive. So all a lot of the stuff can just boil it boil down to, uh, yeah, I would love to to really get detailed production information or or grid load information so I can do my ten-year planning on you know on grid expansion whatever I don't know mm-hmm. I'm making this up grid expansion <laughs> not just coming from the demographics oh my town's going to score right. or whatever these people do that. Um, I, I think most people know or suspect there's value there. And it's just too expensive to do that. And it, once again, expense means time, which means all the friction on all, all those headaches in there. And that's what we, we like I mentioned now, a couple of times, that's, <laughs> we, we set out to try to try to change that. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I'm just going to have to keep exploring this. I think that's, that, that's, that's a, yeah, it's, it, it is expensive, and I think that companies are are, you know, when they when they sit down and they go, okay, well, what do we want to do this year? What do we want to do next year? And you know, somebody raises their hand and says, hey, why don't we start getting all this data out and do something with it? And they're like, well, what are we going to get out of that? And you know, then now it's like, oh, asked, well, yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe it's not super clear, but let's just say that you know. Uh, you know, being data driven is going to be valuable, but you know, then they might say, well, yeah, but we're talking about a lot of money here. So, you know, how is that, how exactly is this going to change our business and help us? Yeah. And so I I feel like they're like people in those positions have a really, they got a really challenging job, you know, to, to, to take from that discussion and, and actually move it forward. And I don't know, if you have any ideas for people like that, but one of my ideas was try to find some success somewhere that you can um, point to 
Maybe it's not directly in your industry. Maybe it's related and it can be transferable, but somewhere try to find somebody that did something pretty amazing and say, see, we could, we could actually do this. And this is just the first thing. And these are like some other things that potentially could, could also happen. Uh, I don't know. You got any ideas for, for somebody? That's- yeah, I, I, I don't. A couple, a couple of things. I'd be curious if how much level of, of skepticism is there in, is there really value? If I got my, if I got all my transactional data alongside all my operational data, all the impedance mismatch, all those headaches, all, what, what is that worth? Be, be, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think most of the people I, I talk to think there, there, there likely is a lot of value there. Um, but you can easily turn to, you know, I'll, I'll ask you, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot. So <laughs> take any industry. Who, who, who's a highly data-driven company out there that's also highly su- successful, you know? A highly data, data-driven company that's highly successful? Yeah. Um, I would think uh, would be like Google. I mean, Google, that, their life is Facebook. data, right? <laughs> Facebook. I mean, there's all kinds of companies with uh, that, that yeah. live off of data, right? That's, that's right. The biggest so, ones, and they're the yeah. big amongst the biggest companies in the world, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, so so there's some proof points out there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So look at Google. <laughs> yeah. So, but what does that mean to a, a manufacturer? What does that mean to right. you know? You can rattle off the top hundred manufacturers, and what does that mean to them? Um, well, you know, reliability and safety, we, we can rattle down all the stuff we, we spoke about, you know, can you, can you start rolling some of that information into, you know, the products you're de- delivering, effectiveness of the products, you go, you know, and, you know, some of these, the internet companies or something like an Amazon, every transaction they do is digital. So they have that data and it's transactional. So there, there's not a bad impedance, mis, you know, mismatch. Mm-hmm. It. So it's, you know, they're, they're in a position where, they can have almost, I mean, you, still, you can imagine all the different data sources. They got robots running around warehouses. Oh, yeah. They got stuff running all over the place. You know, they, it's not like they got an easy data problem <laughs> either. Um, but they, you know, like you say, they're data-driven businesses, man. Yeah. And they're, yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. Well, John, I think this is a good point to wrap up. Uh, we could keep going on forever, I could see. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really, really appreciate you coming on to the show and sharing your thoughts, um, you know, in this time of uh, time of change, whatever we want to call it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you wanted to just get out there before we wrap up? No, um, you know, just trust those other companies. There's a lot of value in driving your business with the data. I, I would say. Yeah, and, I, and, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm right there too. We, we got to we yeah. encourage everybody. So, um, so those uh, for, for people that might want to contact you, you uh, want to share some contact information with us? Yeah, if you go to our the Seek website, we're Seek with a Q. So, so that's our little cute add on S E E Q. And um, you can go to the website. I'm pretty sure if you dig around through about, you can find me. But my email address is pretty simple too. It's just uh, John, which is J O N dot Peterson P E T E R S O N at at Seek You know, feel free to 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 email me if you got you know want to talk about any of this stuff. But um, you know, like Lonnie said, I've been messing around with areas. Probably as long as just about anybody. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, we, yeah, we, we definitely owe you a, a debt of gratitude for getting us here and and then continue to be in the fight and and moving us forward. You know, so I I really really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, um, anytime. We have to do it again. Cool. Thank you, Lonnie. Thanks. So, okay, everybody, that's it for today. I'm Lonnie Bowling, and I hope you join me again next time for the Time Lords podcast. <laughs>